mean, Snoop Dogg must be nearly 60. And the retro stuff comes around even more quickly now, <laughs> doesn't it? You normally had to wait sort of three or four decades for stuff to come back into fashion, and yeah. we're barely giving it 10 years now. Ages ago, I had, a, I had a Twitter conversation with someone who kept referring to back in the day. He, he must have been no older, no older than, like, 22. <laughs> well, you can't be talking back about anything. what day? You can't be talking about anything on like Twitter when you were 11. Was that person day. from Yorkshire? Because I'd imagine that most people from Yorkshire refer to back in the day because it's always better back in the day. It is always better back in the day in Yorkshire, that's true, although Yorkshire itself is a thriving modern county that is attracting much inward investment. Uh, the <laughs> inward investment? Yeah, that doesn't make any sense. No, there's Yorkshire people paying for Yorkshire things. Yorkshire, <laughs> sounds very Yorkshire people paying for anything. <laughs> make Yorkshire s- great again. That's a slogan. Yorkshire people paying for Yorkshire things. <laughs> and paying a lot less or being angry if they're not paying a lot less. This summer, my family set up a WhatsApp thread, which I realise a lot of other families have had for many years, um, but we haven't because my, we we all have. Well, my sister didn't have an iPhone or a toilet, and, <laughs> but she now has an iPhone, but not a toilet. Uh, my brother prefers Facebook Messenger for some reason. Uh, I'm very much a WhatsApp person, as you know. Uh, but we set one up this so. summer with my brother, my sister, and my cousin. Uh, and I woke up this morning to a message from my brother saying, "I've just seen your Wikipedia page. Uh, did you write it yourself?" <laughs> and I, I, I didn't write it myself. I, I didn't know do you, that I had a... You have a Wikipedia page? I do now have a Wikipedia oh, page. Wow. I didn't used to have a Wikipedia page. I know that. Um, but I do now apparently have a Wikipedia page. And I have read it. I am sufficiently egotistical to read it. And the best section... It's all fairly accurate. I have no complaints. Hang on. It's, it's a, mul- a multiple section there, Wikipedia entry. There is a personal life section, Stephen. Yes. By the way... You, you lot have mentioned... Oh so, so, so not you two specifically. Chinch is mentioned. If you uh, if you do type in Rory Smith to the search function of Wikipedia, you now get two. Yeah. Uh, there is a disambiguation page now for Rory. Whereas I am disambiguated. Then, it would Finally. Have, it would have just been Rory Smith, born 1987, the Canadian professional lacrosse player. Yeah, that guy's my, the bane of my existence. But we now have Rory Smith, journalist of the New York Times. And there you are. There are four paragraphs. There you go. Wow. Uh, so you, th- this podcast is mentioned. It, Quite right. It too. is, but Describe unfortunately it. there is not a link, uh, save a link to the word podcast, which unfortunately doesn't take you to a set piece menu podcast page. No, it be. just takes you to a podcast page. I'm uh, wondering if there's a, is there a... But there is a personal line. Well, we can, ed- we can edit that ourselves though, can't we? That's not, is that not how Wikipedia works? Oh, yeah. Are you members? Yeah, I have you got, got edit? to do stuff. Oh, is that right? Have you got edit capabilities? Oh, I assume that any old Tom, Dick or Harry could get I think you can, it. but then it's got to be checked by somebody. With, right. Oh, by the way, we are referenced as amongst others. Yeah. <laughs> you too. As well as recording his own weekly, where he doesn't do any of the recording, and it's not his. <laughs> and, and let's be honest, podcasts. recently he's not been about weekly. <laughs> yes, uh, with amongst others, former England international Andy Hinchcliffe, which has three reference points, 20, 21 and 22. Uh, 20, Stead, Matthew, State of the Football Nation on TV and radio, podcast, Football 365. Was that the one that we... We've, no, that was a John Nicholson. Thing, so we, we are referred to in a second one. And 21, how, how two kidney transplants yielded Real Madrid's secret weapon. That's because there's a link to the podcast. To the podcast. On the New York Times. However, Papers. 22 oh. is the best podcasts of 27, Deezer UK. Oh, there Whoever you go. that is, thanks, it's, Deezer. It's Deezer, the streaming service. Sorry, did, did we... Did we should we respect Deezer. Not, anyway... Not focus enough on, on Rory. There, on there, is a point, <laughs> there is a point to this story. The personal life section of my Wikipedia, my new Wikipedia page not set up by me, <laughs> just, just says, Rory Smith is from Yorkshire. <laughs> <laughs> 
and there is a click through to yes Yorkshire yeah and a, a is, map of the county of Yorkshire and that is my defining personality trait <laughs> does it mention your book yes it does mention your book it mentions one of the books doesn't oh yes no it doesn't no, mention the other ones it holes in the Wikipedia entry um, so anybody out there who has ability to uh, amend and edit uh, Wikipedia if you have the, the editing rights for Wikipedia yeah. Uh, don't hesitate to um, add in a little more. Maybe a link to Set Piece Menu on there. Or even just Hugh and Steve's names. <laughs> Amongst or, others. Or me and Chinch will start referring to them as Amongst and Others. <laughs> Sounds fair. Well, um, well, congratulations. It does have journalist in brackets. Journalist so when you get really, really, really serious, you'll, you'll be able to drop the journalist because it will just be Rory Smith as opposed to disambiguate yes I won't need disambiguating that's when you've made it when you don't need to be disambiguated and what and the other Rory Smith will become Rory Smith lacrosse, lacrosse player, player. Yeah. Right, okay. this is Set Piece Menu the podcast where two friends talk football over food with amongst others <laughs> like an over officious bouncer at a club with a very strict door policy we are for one week only enforcing a one in one out rule so Rory's back hello Way. that's Rory Smith journalist head to Wikipedia to find out more but Chinch is in Portugal boom Thank you. I didn't actually put the stage directions in there, but you uh, you perfectly adhere to what I expected. However, fear not, as we will speak to the great man later, and also we'll call Chinch in Portugal, uh, which will be fun to do. The food, Rory, welcome back. Thank you for coming back, and thank you for bringing back some um, artisanal uh, Italian... Fa- no, it's a cheesecake from Eminence. Yes, it, it is, and it was reduced. Is that yeah. <laughs> so we've got to eat it today. It cost £2.95. We've got to eat it. We, it has to be finished today. Would, you, would you like to describe it? It will go badly off. It's a salted caramel cheesecake. I did want to bring back some sort of artisanal Italian nonsense. But we, A, I'd reached a stage in my life that I never thought I'd achieve, which is I've, I've eaten enough cured meat. <laughs> and for now. I, for now. I need a couple of weeks detox uh, and hard cheese. Um, but also we drove back because obviously... Hector came on holiday with us, so uh, no food we've and kept. But does he not like to fly? I think it's quite cruel putting a dog in a ca- in an aeroplane. I'd, I'd, I know that I would I'd welcome correspondence on this because it's much more convenient if you can fly. But it's just it's quite must be quite frightening for them. And Hector, as you both know, is a bit of a coward. So instead, you put him in the box on the roof rack all no, the way we, home. Hector had the entire boot. <laughs> Hector had more space than me, Kate, or Ed. The um. Hector had a whale of a time. Hector's seen the Alps. He's been to the been to the Mediterranean. He's um, he went to Lake Annecy. He's barked at loads of people. He he made a friend. He had a holiday romance. It's been fantastic. <laughs> this this summer has been the making of Hector. It will shape him for years it and will. years to come. He's got a pen pal. Uh, so in a kind of post spoiler alert way, uh, joining me, Hugh Ferris, are Stephen Wyeth, who is not outrageously bronzed, and Rory Smith, who is. Semi-outrageously bronze. Not as tanned as I'd like. You were a little bit disappointed with the level of tanning because you had to keep your small child away from the sunshine. Apparently children aren't allowed in the sunshine. (laughs) Yeah, but the problem is is that both wife Kate and son, 10-month-old Ed, are both more tanned than Rory. Yeah, don't rub it in. I'm considering going to tan fastest on the corner. (laughs) Well, you'll have to rub in quite a lot uh, just to make it look right. Um, Did you have a nice time? What would you say your work-to-holiday ratio was? 50-50. Or what do you say that it actually was? 50-50. And if now we, that if we've we, asked, we, Andy if we, has to yeah, turn off. He's, he's not listening. <laughs> Andy's not listening. Uh, like 70-30. 70-30 in favour of work, of course. Um, do you, 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 however, did not work hard enough to submit your SPM PLPL. I did. Oh, have you? Yeah. Has that been done since? I uh, did it on, but I just did it through the... Through the and I'm a, I might change it because... I might change mine. I yeah, wasn't I'm definitely changing mine. Did you put Manchester United a little bit too high? <laughs> no, it's not that. No, it was, it was down the bottom. Uh, to be honest, what happened was I did it and I was taking loads and loads of care over it and then 
Kate shouted, Rory, I need your help <laughs> with something, bath time or something. And I thought, right, I better don't do that. Uh, so I just, I think I did Cardiff, Burnley, Huddersfield at the bottom. And I'm not sure I've thought about it enough. Well, you know, Rory, don't you, like everybody else does, uh, you have until the 31st of August yeah. at 6pm to enter your predictions of how the Premier League table will look at the end of the season. Yes, the SPM PLPL transfer window is ending soon. Or if you're listening to this after the 31st, um, you'll be just as furious as Jose Mourinho was after the end of the other transfer window when you realise that your work is not yet done. Um, and also, if you have centre-backs in your life, they may well be terrible as well. Head to tinyurl.com set-piece menu to register your team right now. You can also enter a mini-league or a group code to see how you're uh, getting on against your friends as well. It's all at tinyurl.com forward slash set-piece menu. Do it now! And perhaps you, and not us, will win our special star prize of a star that's on offer at Asda in the seasonal section between Christmases for roughly the same amount of money as your cheesecake cost. Don't diminish the cheesecake. Uh, also, a quick reminder of our Facebook page. Head to facebook.com forward slash setpiece menu or you can search for setpiece menu on Facebook. Give us a like, a follow, a share. There's also a list of all our pod topics up until about 80 or 85. I can't remember how far we went with that, but there's loads and it's very useful. Did Gemma shout, Hugh, I need your help with something while you were doing that? Uh, just yeah. at the point that I got to 85, yeah. she said, Hugh, um, it's also bath time. <laughs> <laughs> and she bathed me. Uh, get in touch with the podcast if you'd like to, at setpiecemenu is where on Twitter, and setpiecemenu at gmail.com is the email address. That is exactly what Mark Trenfield did to say this. Morning, Hugh, Steve, Rory, and legendary left-back Andy, uh, who is unfortunately not here to hear that. As an avid listener, not yet a Buffalo, there is a topic that I'd like you guys to talk about as I feel it needs an extended intelligent opinion. Uh, now that the dust has settled a little, it is the transfer window. Uh, I'm admittedly a Spurs fan, so perhaps my opinion is a little skewed given our lack of business. However, there's been a massive annoying narrative everywhere that is that Spurs did not bring anyone in and that is bad and that clubs need a new signing to not stand still or freshen up the dressing rooms. I have a problem with this narrative for a number of reasons. And then he very clearly articulates the number of reasons. Number one, there is this idea that teams win transfer windows. They don't win anything. No points are at stake. It's all relative. I looked last season and people were saying that Everton had a good summer window originally because they'd signed lots of players. But I was thinking, where on earth are they going to play? Signings made on transfer deadline day are welcomed massively. The narrative is that clubs have done what they needed. When to my mind, I think it illustrates bad planning. Number two. Mm. You'll be pleased to know there are only three. So many signings made are unsuccessful. There's been so many flops that I can think of, including uh, at my own club. So why is there such a narrative that clubs must bring in new signings when a lot will flop or take a very long time to adapt to the team? I look back at last January's window and see how many players made limited impact last season. Barkley, Lucas, Giroud, for example. Those are examples he gives. This was sent before Lucas Moura scored three goals in two games. And three. Surely, just as likely that new signings will freshen up dressing rooms and inspire everyone, as so many ex-footballers have been stating, there is as high a probability for those new signings to disrupt dressing rooms through being a bad egg. E.g. Danny Osvaldo at Southampton, who apparently had a fight with um, Jose Fonte and was bombed out. Or for existing players to lose their places to the new signing become unhappy. Or for there being disruption among the whole squad if the new signing earns more, it often seems to be uh, seen with recently promoted size. He finishes, in conclusion, this is something of an essay, I'm only reading it all so that Rory can have another piece of cheesecake. The fact is that Spurs haven't made a signing and therefore won't have any of those factors to affect them this season. The squad dynamic will be stable. Everyone knows what their roles are and what other people do. Yet this is somehow a bad strategy as they are standing still. Whereas 19 other Premier League teams have made signings and the narrative is that this is a good thing. And all of the teams will improve when the facts are three of them will be relegated and several will do worse 
than last season. I'd love to hear your thoughts from Mark. Mark, you will hear our thoughts. In the week of the last high-profile European transfer window shutting, that is, of course, the SPM-PLPL transfer window, uh, it is time to ask if the shortened window in the Premier League worked and if some of the narratives that came out of that shorter window are indeed accurate. Suitably, this comes in a week that Jose Mourinho, who wanted more centre-backs, saw his Manchester United team lose 3-0 to Spurs, who didn't buy anyone, thanks to each of his three centre-backs being at fault for a goal. Uh, so has the shortened transfer window proved that both Jose and Spurs were right, even though they were coming at it from a completely different point of view? There's two separate subjects here, isn't there? There are. I think. There is the shortened window of this summer. And then we will talk about the general narratives that yeah. surround clubs. But I think it's in it's informed by the shortened transfer window because a lot of people were making those points based on the fact that teams had less time to do what they always do and so they complained about it a little bit. Yes, more. and it did feel a little bit like a lot of Premier League teams were caught out by the thing they had voted for 9 months ago. Yeah, their idea and their time frame for their new idea seemed to sneak up on them. Mm. Yeah. Mysteriously, yeah. Where did this come from? Whose whose idea was this? Fourteen of the twenty clubs, I think, uh, voted for uh, those who voted against. I think there was one abstention. Manchester United, against the wishes of Jose Mourinho, apparently he wanted to um, have it even shorter, um, so he he didn't want it to be the same, which Manchester United did. Manchester City, Crystal Palace, Watford, and Swansea. Those are the clubs that voted against. So they are absolved of some of the blame. This is a rare, like saying I've eaten enough cured meats. This is a rare thing for me to say. I agree with Jose. I think there is no reason it has to be two months. There's no reason it has to be six weeks. It's a totally arbitrary period of time. You could do it in a week. There's absolute, There's no reason at all that it has to drag on. I would. I personally, personally, would like it to be July. Just the four weeks of July. And you could maybe shift it in a World Cup year. Well, the winter window is just one month. Yeah, no, no one so says, why oh, does the, well, we the can't do anything in a month. Yeah. Why does the summer one have to be any longer? It doesn't, it's... it's, it's the task at hand, this is not the, the full aphorism, but the task at hand expands to fit the time available. So the clubs are used to having two months to mess around and unsettle each other's players. And what they found this summer was that they couldn't do it in six weeks. They needed, they needed those extra two weeks to really unsettle each other's players and then complain about it when it happened to them. And it's not, it's, it's not as though there's some kind of battle royale involving football club chief executives and football agents that starts on the 1st of July because you can't discuss any transfers outside of the transfer window that just happens to be when you can file your business and ratify them. Well, exactly. This is the misunderstanding. The transfer window is not a transfer window. It is a registration window. It is when the, when the books are open for registrations. You do, or you should, you should be doing everything else in the other, well, I suppose 10 months of the year, 10, 9 months of the year, including the January transfer window. So, you should be doing your scouting and drawing up your lists and, I mean, it's it's kind of on the quiet, but speaking to agents and executives and whoever else you need to talk to, doing your background checks on players. You should be doing all of that in February, March, April and May. Then it gets to June and you should be going to the clubs and saying, right, this is how much we've got. How much do you want for this guy? And they then quote you some ridiculous price and you go back and think, right, let's lowball them. And then that whole ridiculous process starts. And that should then bring you up to July, July the 1st when the registration window opens and you should be able to say, right, we've got a deal with Shakhtar the next for this guy. And there you go, we've signed him, bang, bang, bang. And if you look at the really well-run clubs, that's exactly what they do. And it, happens, it, it the, who the clubs are that are well-run changes every year. But there's always two or three that have got their business lined up about a month in advance. And there is no reason. You don't need two months. You don't need six weeks. You could make it July the 1st to July the 31st for everyone 
or in a World Cup year, maybe, I don't know, July the 15th or 16th, the day after the final. Much like the ancient Olympic Games, I feel there should be a moratorium on all war during the World <laughs> Cup. Yeah, just, just for four weeks, and the, then you um, can keep going after that. The, yeah, and then you, you say, right, we'll open it the day after the final, and that's when it starts, and you run it for for a month, for, for four weeks until August the 15th or whatever. There is no reason for it to last two months. It's nonsense. The, the general principle of having a transfer window that closed before the season starts is, is a good one. That, yeah. There's an awful lot of sense to be drawn from the fact that you start the season with your squad in place rather than having two or three games to be tinkering around. A bit like the SPM PLPL transfer window. Yes, we are not... Uh... We are not necessarily doing as we instruct others to do. So the Premier League's mistake here, if there was a mistake, was that they decided to bring this new system in, in a World Cup year. Mm-hmm. It would have been much more logical to do it next summer, where they had a bit more time to get used to the earlier closing of the transfer window. But as we've discussed, did they really need to get used to that? You simply bring forward your plans you know, if you do do things with a certain time frame, you simply needed to start three weeks earlier because the transfer window closes three well, weeks earlier. And there's no reason for that last phase where you're negotiating to take... These aren't complicated deals. There's a Matthew Side column this week in The Times that makes the point that the biggest clubs in the world have the turnover of Burnage Tesco. And for those people who don't know Burnage Tesco... It's a Tesco. The, uh, <laughs> Albeit a behemoth of a Tesco. It's with not a Costa coffee it's, on one no, end. It's not even a Tesco Extra. Steve, it's not even a Tesco Extra. Come on, get your head out of the clouds. That's not that big a Tesco. That is, that is a mid-range Tesco. Yeah, it's but, fine. But, it's bigger than Parswood Tesco. Oh, yes. but That's Didsbury Tesco, though. Don't upset the people. That is that's, really not I mean, it is, it is just the that's other side of the road to Parswood. That is, that so is Didsbury. That's Parswood. It's near, it's near a Nando's. <laughs> the, um, and we all know Nando's <laughs> is definitely Parswood. The... Um, yeah, the, it's the, the clubs have the turnovers of of mid-range individual mid-range supermarket stores. They're not big businesses, and I I do think that and the media more than anyone is guilty of this. We massively overcomplicate how difficult these things are. A transfer is not a complicated thing to pull off at all. It's just made to look complicated by people in football because that is the tradition that every deal should have wrangles and what have you. It's it's a matter of running a club. In cases where players don't have buyouts, which more and more they do, which sets a price that you should be basically working down from, and you you have an adult, mature conversation. The problem is that they throw in middlemen and agents, and agents who've got the mandate to sell for the club, and agents who've got the mandate to sell for the player, and agents who've got the mandate for Britain, and another one, another one for France, another one for Holland, another one for Germany. The process has been ridiculously kind of labyrinthine if that's mm. the word which it definitely isn't <laughs> it's, it's a bit like the tax system isn't it yeah in what way well in the, there's way <laughs> too on. many Hang there's on. way too Agree many and then find out there's why. way too many complications in terms of, uh, uh, yes ways of circumnavigating what should be steve. a relatively straightforward process steve just wants to give 10 percent of his wages to his local church <laughs> that <laughs> leave it is let's, what a let's tax have should a be tithe system and nothing more complicated than that. a what system a, a tithe, tithe system, system. <laughs> Um, Google it. It's on Wikipedia. I thought you said a Thai system. I thought you were going to tell me that the Thai government have really sort of... Their tax affairs are absolutely yeah, along the I tell the, you what, the, the Thais have all sorts of issues, but their tax system is excellent. The, there, there were two other mistakes that the Premier League clubs made in introducing it this year. Just like Steve, I think it's a good idea that's been introduced a year too soon. One is you, 
there should have been an, there should have been an attempt made to get the rest of Europe vaguely on board to say to the major leagues, let's all do this on a Britain set Britain dictating to Europe. Goodness me, that's an argument that won't be won any time in the future. Yeah, that maybe is a complication. But <laughs> before Brexit, maybe if they'd gone to, to Italy, Spain, Germany, and France and said, "Look, so if David Cameron had suggested it, yeah, it'd been fine." The um, <laughs> if they'd gone to those major leagues and said, "Let's all bring this forward." Let's find a date that works for everybody. The complication is those leads start later. Yeah. But the Italians' window shut before the start of the Serie A season, so the the they they the moved s- theirs forward. The to same the, principle applies. Still, still a week later. I think it was after the start of Serie A. It may have been after the first game. No, no, no Serie A did it on the on the eve of the yeah of the, the eve of the season. season yeah. Um, the German window is still open. Is still open, so that's after the beginning. Yeah. And the Spanish league is till the end of the month as well. Yeah. So that was after the Spanish. But, but the Italians and they have saw the same th- idea. But the, the the rest of Europe saw the opportunity for chaos. Yeah. Because of all the money there is in the Premier League, they saw the opportunity to stand back, let the Premier League have that crazy yeah, yeah. six weeks where they couldn't get themselves organised, and then you know we'll step in and and pick the choice remaining players off. Except that I think there's been almost a counter effect, which is that the lack of Premier League money in that there wasn't that mad rush at the end. I think because so many European leagues rely on Premier League money to do their own deals as the, as the money trickles down. I think the European market being slower is in part because the Premier League didn't know what it was doing this summer. That It seemed a real... And there were quite a lot of deals between Premier League teams as well. There was quite a lot of domestic kind of nonsense. So I, th- I think there has been a... That that effect hasn't manifested as uh, that, I'm certain. That's what the the European clubs were hoping for, but I'm not sure it's manifested the, as they expected. The trickle down in economics of the Tikibara yeah. <laughs> economic themes going on didn't work quite as well uh, this time. But about a, a similar amount of money was spent by Premier League clubs this summer as it was in the summer of 2017. I think you're just saying that 1. less point, of that. 1.26 billion this summer. 1.4 billion. Last so actually, summer. so more. But less of that, no, more slightly, no, no, less. No, no, slightly less, slightly, slightly less, less, but significantly fewer deals. Two hundred and eighty-two deals, ins and outs, this summer. Three hundred and eighty-four, 2017. Because the because the so much of it has been yeah, driven yeah. by the elite buying certain p- specific players. I don't have the figures. I wonder whether there were more deals within England than there are there were uh, ooh, there, there certainly were a lot of deals between between uh, English clubs more than I think pretty much the rest of the other five leagues yeah. put sorry the other four leagues put together so I think Roughly. that that maybe has had an impact on, on slowing down the European market to an extent there's obviously been certain bid in Barcelona have spent money and Real Madrid have, have not spent money but for different reasons Atletico have spent quite, quite a lot by their standards uh, PSG haven't done anything as a FFP. So there's lots of different factors I think at play, but the Premier League has the Premier League. League the Premier League defines the market across Europe. The, that that money that we all pay through our Sky and BT and Eleven Sports subscription. <laughs> the Don't so think many, much of that is going to the Premier League. <laughs> so many Eleven Sports subscriptions. The um, that all goes to Roma. Basically, that's who. That's the it's the European clubs that end up with it because that's they're the places that produce the players. That's that's where that money comes from. So those clubs need that money to function in the market. They haven't had, in my in my sense, they've not had as much of that as normal. So they haven't been able to do as much as normal. And the other mistake the Premier League clubs made was the reason they did it this year was because of what basically what happened with Oxley Chamberlain last year. And they thought that was weird. So they thought, let's definitely do this straight away. I'm not sure they did it. It was very reactionary. It was it? really reactionary. And I, I think that might be why they've introduced it too quickly in a world. Because it was, like you say, it's stupid to do it in a World Cup year when you've got a sort of foreshortened summer anyway. But as we've 
previously By the way, just discussed. very quickly, Steve, the, 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 the comment is, or the quote is, from your good friend Miguel Delaney, maybe the most short-term and reactionary decision the modern Premier League has taken when describing this shortening of the transfer window in this particular year because of what happened with Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain playing for Arsenal, then signing for Liverpool, um, that basically the next week, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah. yeah. So we're saying it was a good idea, but implemented too soon. And yeah, it sounds like a bit VAR. More, <laughs> a bit well, yeah, although the Premier League has decided not to implement that. Yes. And uh, we've already seen lots of examples of yes. where it would have come in quite useful. But have we not? We've not. Dis- we have discussed on this podcast in the past that clubs should be planning further ahead. So the shortening of the the transfer window really shouldn't have impacted them in terms of knowing the sort of players they wanted to sign. You know, we have seen evidence of Manchester City and Liverpool at least planning two or three transfer windows in advance as to what sort of players they want to sign, even if they don't know specifically or exactly which player that's going to be, and that your scouting shouldn't be determined by what happens in. The World Cup. I mean, the Yerry Mina deal from Barcelona to Everton was a was a good example of of Everton could have, if they wanted to sign Yerry Mina before the World Cup, they could have got him at a fraction of the twenty odd million they paid for him afterwards. And the, whatever his capabilities are as a player, the fact that he scored a goal that forced extra time against England in a World Cup knockout extra tie, five million. <laughs> yeah, that that doesn't that doesn't define what he is capable of as a player, it just puts him a little bit more in the shot window. But that should be... Football clubs now, big football clubs, should be above those those kind of rash decisions based on one or two high-profile games. So just before we move on from the shortening of the transfer window to the general kind of narratives that Mark was talking about that drive the stories around success and failure in the transfer window, I uh, just want to, to focus it on Spurs because I think they're probably the link between the two is that Daniel Levy is the king of brinkmanship. He uses the final few days of a transfer window as his um, as, as his currency. He enjoys it more than Jim White does. <laughs> he does. And I would imagine that Daniel Levy wears a nice gold tie just to celebrate it just as much. But there, there's a thought that Daniel Levy couldn't prosper in the way that he would like to because the transfer window was shortened. So the argument about everything that happens in a transfer window can be applied to any length of time because the same things happen. The task takes as long as the task takes. That actually, it didn't quite apply to to somebody like Daniel Levy who attempted because they didn't do any business. So no, but did, why, he, why, a, did he? Does he like to make it last? The amount of time it takes. Trick transfer. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> he wants to make it last long because with each every passing day, the pleasure gets the more pleasure intense. gets more intense. Are you trying to tell us that Daniel Levy is still going to climax on the thirty first of August? <laughs> <laughs> only, only, only if Sting is there playing his bass guitar alongside. Well, look, so, so no, but, but why? If you've got a shorter window. In, yes, the deadline comes earlier, but mm. because the deadline comes earlier, there's not two week. There's two weeks of him trying to play that game instead of six weeks of him trying to play that game. So it's less exasperated for that team who are tre- attempting to do business. But again, he just needs to start... Less or fewer exasperated decisions. Yeah, but he just needed to start the game a little bit earlier. Well, he couldn't yeah. because of the World Cup. Well, I think the World Cup's maybe a factor. I, I basically reject that whole theory. But the one thing that I wonder if, that, if it does influence it is the fact that in Europe they were sitting there saying, well, Lionel, Daniel, we're not in a rush. So, yeah. no, we don't need to buy your players. We don't want Moussa Sissoko yet. We'll see what happens in the next three weeks. We've still got ages. So maybe in that sense, it made it harder for the Premier League clubs to shift their unwanted dross than than they normally would be able to. Normally, they'll come a point where some poorly run foreign team will come in and say, all right, we'll have that guy. Fine. 
What are you saying? Fenerbahce. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> I mean, you don't want to stereotype, but yeah, normally there's a time when a rich Turkish team yes. will come in and say, right, we'll Good take... Good luck, what- Boris Karius, on your two-year loan. We'll take <laughs> whatever Bishitash. you... I mean, I don't, I'd, I'd love to... I'm fascinated by the transfer strategy of Fenerbahce and Bishitash. It's astonishing. So Baffertin Bidomis giving a, a heartfelt goodbye to the Galatasaray fans the other day. And you sort of think, really? Go- Baffertin Bidomis? Anyway, um... Yeah, maybe that made it harder for, for for Levy to function to operate as he normally does because everybody else should sort of say, well, look, yeah, we don't we don't need to do this right now, Daniel. So, you know, for all this this for all the candles you've lit and <laughs> and the music you got all the, all this all this music and the massage oils, we we really <laughs> and the beginner's guide to Karma Sutra. <laughs> this is this is not for us right at this point. Okay, so we're using Spurs to pivot to now the the kind of the general narratives that surround sex, success or failure in the transfer window. <laughs> yeah. Yes, that was Freud. Yes. Normally I'd edit that out, dear listener, but that's going to stay in. Um, that uh, yes, how do you articulate success or failure in the transfer window and how it affects your ability to do better, worse, win the league, not win the league, avoid relegation, um, and those kind of arguments. Arguments. Um, Spurs are the first team in Premier League history to not sign anybody during the, the, the summer transfer window. And will subsequently be relegated. And will therefore definitely be relegated. So they, we are saying this in a week where they have won more handsomely at Old Trafford than they have done in decades. So clearly our short-termism will be, a, our short-termism will be an effect on this conversation. But do we think that Spurs have been successful in the transfer window despite the fact that they haven't signed anybody? Or is the use of the word despite there not... not right because actually they've done no business because they didn't want to or have they failed to do business that they wanted to I think they have failed to do business that they wanted to I think there were players they probably would have liked to sign if they were available or if they would have made the deals come off but I don't think you can say they've failed in the transfer window because they've kept their team together and they have seen over the last three years that that team is continually improving and they have, they've backed their managers to say right well you can you will continue to improve your team I think if I was a Spurs fan I'd maybe f- find it hard to believe that a team that finished third last year could make up such a big difference on such a good team as City over the course of one summer without without further strengthening to win the title. But I don't think Spurs have had a bad transfer window. I don't think they've let anybody down. I I know there's a there's a there's a natural excitement that comes with new signings for fans, and I think that there is a I think there is a value to that. But I basically agree with Mark. I think. We've started to fetishise transfers in a, in the last fifteen, twenty years. Maybe not even that since Berbatov, the Berbatov and the Berbatov day, the Berbatov and Rubinho day. Was Berbatov the same day as Rubinho? Yes, it was t- uh, ten years ago this week. And it beca- it's become this real kind of. I, I will, funny if I've been thinking about it a lot with Mourinho, that we now s- almost treat signing players as the only way to improve a team, and that's really weird that managers that managers do that. Is surely your now your title is like coach or manager. It's not human ro- human resources acquirer. Your the, your job is to coach and to improve players that way. And for a manager like Mourinho to sort of say, basically, I can't be expected to to do well unless you give me the best players in the world. And this is, I mean, that's the criticism of Guardiola that it's all very well saying, oh, you know, isn't Pep what a wonderful coach? I'd be all right if they, if you acquired a billion pounds worth of players for me, I'd do a decent job with that. You know, my team would do quite well. I think that it's gone too far and it's become this kind of obsession that you have to sign players and if you don't sign players 
you, you're bad, you're letting your team down. And that, that, that is not just a media thing, that's the, the thing that fans do themselves. It's sort of... Well, yeah, there is a thirst for new signings. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Fans, and they want to have this sense that they've had a great, you know, we've had a great transfer. We bought that player who that other team wanted, but we bought them, so yeah. therefore we win. And I think you can make a case, we've talked before about about whether the transfer window is bigger than whether deadline day is bigger than cup final day is having a great transfer window is that better win- than winning the league cup I think it probably is <laughs> for a lot of teams I think it's more of a we've had a great transfer window I mean we lost at Wembley but who cares like we've had a great transfer we'll always remember transfer window 2017 I think that that, that is wrong because a transfer is not a, a fixed thing it's not it's not football manager it's not FIFA it's oh if only it was everything is context so you can sign a player who looks fantastic for Celta Vigo and in your lead in your team in in you know in with your manager around those teammates he he might look awful are you talking and about Iago Aspas now I wasn't actually but yeah well no, yes. funny enough Aspas is quite a good example that because he's done brilliantly Iago well. Aspas is, is clearly a good footballer but was awful at Liverpool and he that's not to say he he didn't get a chance or whatever he was genuinely awful at Liverpool but he is clearly a good player and there's so many stories of players who go to not necessarily even like make that step up to a, a bigger team in inverted commas, but players who go to one club and they're they're out of context. Football is just context. There's no such thing as a bad manager. There's no such thing. Well, that's not true. There's be, <laughs> there's largely no such thing as a bad manager. And you know what Chinch would say if he was here? Paul Jill. There we go. The there is no such thing as a bad player. So, and but equally on the flip side, there's no such thing as a dead cert. So if you if you sign, say you've had a great transfer window, because you've spent fifty million quid on this player. It might be that he just doesn't gel with the teammates. You can't win a transfer window before any games have been played because you don't know how the player, how well the player will do, no matter how good the player is. I feel you, you, you two have covered so much since I last contributed anything of substance. That and you didn't even have a slice of cheesecake as well. You could have had. I could have. I could have. Pol- I could have polished it off. But the winning and losing transfer windows thing is is interesting. It's like it has become that sort of like one of the battles that seems to be important to win mm. rather than worrying about winning the war. A bit like, you know, a local derby or a bitter rival or a cup tie as though, yeah, brilliant. As you said, we signed a player that another club wanted to sign. Yeah, yeah. And to use Manchester United as the example, I'm, I'm astonished by the number of United fans who are supporting Jose Mourinho in the, in the, the, the view that he should have been able to sign whoever he wanted in terms of a central defender. He's signed two central defenders whilst he's been at Manchester United and neither of those have worked out. So why was it going to be that if he'd signed Alderweireld or Maguire or Varane that that player would have slotted in effortlessly and all of Manchester United's defensive problems would have been solved by that one mega money deal on transfer deadline day? There are no guarantees in the transfer market. Dayan Lovren was another example of a player who had a wonderful season in the Premier League with one club, Southampton, and was pretty average the following season for Liverpool in the Premier same competition different club no guarantees so why why would Jose Mourinho being able to sign a defender for 70 or 80 million mean that Manchester United would be better off at this stage of the season than they currently are and likewise Tottenham look fantastic they have won the transfer window if you look at it from the point of view that they didn't get their trousers pulled down paying too much money for a player who may or may not have improved them. There were no guarantees. So the better thing for them to do was to assess the situation. Say, well, look, you know, Manchester City, however much money we, we spend, we're not going to catch Manchester City. We can see what Liverpool are doing and let's give them credit where it's due. They've planned and executed superbly well in strengthening their squad in this transfer window so even if we match them in terms of pound for pound what they paid for players we probably aren't going to have the same impact but you know what I reckon 
what we've got now is better than what United have got. It's better than what Chelsea have got. And it's better than what Arsenal have got. So even with our squad as it is, there's still a very good chance that we can finish third or fourth, qualify for the Champions League. So why spend £150 million... To also finish third and fourth yeah. and qualify but, for the Champions that, League? That is what it's come to now. That That's the perfectly sensible way of, of looking at it. You should be looking at your, your first 11, first 18, whatever it is, and thinking... Right, who can we get that will improve the level of competition, that will weaken our weak, that will strengthen our weakest link, that will will give us the pace or the vision or the whatever you know the the dial that we we lack, whatever your team is lacking, and you go into the market and you should look at it and think right, we these are the five ten players we've identified. You don't ask the clubs, and this is what Spurs will have done. You don't ask the clubs or the agents or whatever and say right, any chance interested? A couple might say no, they're happy where they are. A couple might say yeah, but his wages are seven hundred thousand pounds a week. And I'll be like, oh, no. And Spurs do have an issue in terms of their wage structure, which is old-fashioned, and that will eventually come to to hurt them because there will come a point where the, the players are not prepared to have incremental increases every year. They will say, my market value is £250,000 a week. That's what my peers are earning. There will come a point where that, that does damage Spurs, but not at the moment. The players are happy to stay. And they'll have gone to others and they'll have found out that such and such was going to cost 50, 60 million quid. And I'll have thought, well... He might be a little bit better as a third-choice midfielder off the bench than Harry Wintz, but he's not 60 million quid better. And I think this is where the fetishisation of transfers, for which I blame the newspapers and particularly Sky Sports News, and this culture of you have to be buying, something has to be happening, you acquire, 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 acquire. There is this sense that you have to spend ridiculous amounts of money for really minor improvements. And, I mean, Harry Maguire's maybe quite a good example of that, that Harry Maguire is a better defender than Chris Smalling, Phil Jones, Marcos Rojo, possibly, I quite like Bailly, I've got to admit, I mean, I know he has injury problems, but I quite like him. Um, Lindelof, I don't think he's bad, he's, doesn't look as bad for United as he, sorry, didn't look as bad for Sweden as he does for United, which is curious. Um, and there might be the level he was playing against. Is Harry Maguire £70 million better than any of those players? I'm not sure I, he is, to I be think perfectly honest. that's the point that Ed Woodward will be making, and should he ever speak on the matter, in a candid fashion, he would make that too. And he would also probably make the short-term, long-term argument about the fact that Jose Mourinho is not necessarily going to be here in five years when we still need to be benefiting from Harry Maguire. And if he lasts five years, then 70 million may be. But if he's bought by a manager who wants him in there right now and then might leave, there's no nothing to suggest that that 70 million pounds is indeed a five-year uh, investment. Um, you've just got to look at the skies above Turf Moor on Sunday that follows... Um, this week to see how many Manchester United fans are on the side of Jose Mourinho rather than Ed Woodward, regardless of what we've just been saying, because there is an emotional tie to somebody like Jose Mourinho, who they feel would help them win a transfer window that Ed Wood- they think Ed Woodward has helped them lose. But that's it. That's it's. I think partly that's a, a manifestation of Mourinhoism, which is which demands that people swear absolute loyalty to to yeah. Mourinho and and hate it, hate all of his enemies. And I tweeted about about that subject this week and it's ama- it's amazing to see the contortions that people put themselves through to support Mourinho in things that you sort of think well actually this isn't I mean I'm you know, not actually being desperately controversial here but the, you know people will just support him absolutely but the other thing is that fans are and it's just it's not just United but there is this constant sense that the board is depriving us of of money and the board is saying you can't the board is is saying oh we don't want to spend this money and they're being tight and we should be spending 70 million pounds on this and 60 million pounds on this you shouldn't if they're not the right deals and I'd I'd be really reticent as a fan to think 
that my club would be just lavishing that money out on on a lot, uh, frequently, on the wrong players. If they're going to spend 60, 70 million quid, to be perfectly honest, the board should be thinking, yeah, that makes sense. If, if someone on that board, however much they know about football, is thinking, this doesn't make any sense, then th- there's half a chance you should listen to that doubt. The Jude- when, you know, when United went for Jardine, right at the end of the transfer window, for 18 million quid, that is a sensible thing to do. That's his buyout clause. That's his buyout. He's 32, you know you're only net two years out of him, but he is Diego Jardine, and he is a top-class central defender. Wonderful. He is outstanding. <laughs> so that is a sensible move. You, I can't have any sympathy for Mourinho because Woodward told him he couldn't have seventy million to spend on Harry Maguire, which would have been the worst kind of knee-jerk World Cup signing. They'd asked in, about Maguire in May. They'd have got him for thirty-five, and that is exactly as a business, that is not something you should do. And also, as a fan, you shouldn't want your club to be getting ripped off like that. Does that that is what is happening? You are but getting ripped fans off. Fans don't care about value; they care about the amount of money. The amount of money spent guarantees star player absolute value to them which isn't necessarily the same as a- absolute and, value and in and the is another example of where your scouting should be at a stage where you don't need to make those snap decisions because yeah. you've planned far enough in advance that you know that Harry Maguire is the player you want so you move before the World Cup so that that doesn't become a factor so that you know the deal's done in advance from having a disastrous World Cup and you know that doesn't matter any any more so than having having a fantastic World Cup which he did um the other thing is with this coaching, uh, to come back to the coaching element, in that, you know, these super coaches that we supposedly have in the Premier League have really just become, you know, super organisers and moulders of exceptional talent. And that's where their great strength lies. And I think to use the Manchester United example is I think you are entitled to turn around and say to your manager, if he has spent £500 million since he arrived at the club, now hang on, you you've had a fair crack at the transfer market at some point we need you to work with the players that you've signed not to just be saying on a transfer window by transfer window basis actually that hasn't worked out he's not turned out to be as good as we'd hoped he was going to be so we need to pay twice as more twice as much more for an even better player and I can understand United fans frustrations because if they're coming down on the side of Jose Mourinho it's not a Mourinho Woodward thing it's that any issues at Manchester United run deeper and have run longer than the length of Jose Mourinho's tenure. So he is not, I suppose, for, for United, for match-going Manchester United fans, he is not the root cause of the problem that extends back many years longer than Jose Mourinho's association with the club. So that's why they might turn their frustrations on the the board and Ed Woodward for not sticking hands in pockets and giving the manager what he wants. They're not necessarily saying everything that Jose Mourinho does is right, everything that the board does is wrong. Mm. They're just more frustrated with that side of things at their club than whatever it is the manager's doing. And they're also frustrated with the fact that the board, to them, seem to be more interested in incoming money than they are in spending money. And as one Manchester United fan put it to me this week, don't worry, uh, in a few days' time they'll announce another global partner and tell us about their annual figures going up and it'll all be fine. Yeah, and but I mean the most the most iconic telling moment in Manchester United's recent history was when they t- took the words football club off the badge and as hackneyed and as cliched as that sounds it's, it is quite an important thing that there is a sense with United that the football is is part of the business rather than the whole business and I'm not sure that is some, I'm, I'm certain that's not something the fans like. I don't think it's something the fans may, maybe think about on a day-to-day basis but you, st- you know you support your team but it, that's quite a damning you know it's quite a damning 
way of looking at it. I think the frustration is that they that they the Glazers and Woodward are um, using the club's image to sign all of these partnership deals and what have you. And that's fine. It's a great business model. It worked. It's massively increased their revenues, and the fans have a right to feel, then feel frustrated that that hasn't man- manifested in kind of success on the pitch in the last five years because it, it hasn't. But the the one thing I would say about United that's even worse to me is that it's the ultimate club. It's a club run for big transfers. That's the, that that is the whole strategy. There is no director of football. There is, as far as I know, the scouting department is still limited compared to what quite a lot of the others, the other big big teams in Europe have. It's still kind of the manager who who has complete control, and then Ed Woodward kind of does the money and occasionally says that that's too much money, and that's kind of his job. There's no kind of overall strategy. The, I'm not convinced there's a huge amount of um, like link up between the academy and and the first team and kind of that that a lot a lot of teams spend a lot of time thinking about that flow of talent from beneath to above. I'm not sure United really care about it to be honest. I think it kind of happens, and when it does happen, and you, you get a Rashford or an Angel Gomez or whatever, brilliant. If it doesn't happen, who cares? We'll sign, we'll, we'll sign someone. They are a manifest. The, the, I'm just stop using the word manifest they are a great example of transfer culture it's a club that has been built on transfers over the last few years since Fergie left and that I think is part of the problem that there has been this belief that the way to improve the thing that will always deliver Man United is how much money they've got that's not what delivers you because there are no guarantees in the transfer market you can't win a transfer window a transfer in itself is not a victory it is just a thing it is an HR addition and it might be that the person who you've you've, you've recruited fulfills their role better than the previous incumbent, but it might be that they don't, or it might be that it's exactly the same, or they might make no difference whatsoever. Or do you know what? They might get injured after three games and not play them for the, for the whole season. And you, you don't know. And I think by placing so much value on transfers, as a club in terms of Manchester United, but as a culture in terms of English football in particular, this does not exist elsewhere. It's not the same in Germany or in, even in Italy, they they just don't care as much about transfers. It's a British thing that we have lost sight of what actually wins you football matches. The top six spenders in the Premier League in the summer transfer window, so therefore the top six winners of the transfer window are Liverpool, Chelsea, Fulham, Leicester, Everton and West Ham. That will not be the top six at the end of the season, unless you think it will be. And if you do, SPMPLPL, tinyurl.com forward slash set piece menu. Um, and this is for Liverpool fans. Since 2002, the biggest spending club has tended not to win the title. Of the 16 teams to spend the most in a summer transfer window, only five have gone on to win the Premier League. Uh, let's try and hear from a man who was actually transferred, shall we? <gasps> Almost exclusively by Howard Kendall, in fact, in a glittering career. Always outward. At the highest level, and also the second highest level. So it's time to ask, where are you, Chinch? Greetings, everyone, from Cavuero, Portugal. <laughs> is that is that real, real Portuguese? No, that was English. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, I'm, I'm particularly impressed. Uh, Chinch, uh, did you know uh, that we have... No, you won't know because you don't read WhatsApp messages uh, between the group but did you know we have spent the last few minutes talking about transfers and the shortened transfer window and whether a team can actually win a transfer window win a transfer window is there a trophy for that (laughs) there is it's almost as significant as the FA Cup so that means Fulham win the transfer window Spurs get relegated I take it is that how it works that that is basically what we concluded yeah we spent an awful lot of time talking about it and Chinch has just basically dealt with it in a few seconds well done Chinch 
Thanks, man. We take, can we take it that you think it's nonsense to win a transfer window change? But I've never heard of this concept before. Who floated this this crazy concept of winning a transfer window? All fans ever. Really? It's a bit like, Chinch, when you joined Sheffield Wednesday, <laughs> the Sheffield Wednesday fans were joy- joyous in their triumph over Tottenham, who were also supposedly interested in signing you. Mm, I'm not so sure about that, because once I started playing, it was pretty clear that Tottenham had dodged a bullet. <laughs> <laughs> is that the same bullet that went into your thigh, which is the reason yes. why Alan Sugar decided yeah, well, not to sign you? Interesting. Yeah, but sometimes I, I feel Tottenham did very well by not signing anybody because they didn't lose anybody. So I wouldn't consider Tottenham have had a bad transfer window or lost the transfer window. It was understandable clubs getting promoted are going to have to sign a lot of players because they're going to need them to stay in the Premier League. So what does how do we quantify win? Well, I tell you what, Spurs will feel like, like they won the transfer window more than Manchester United because they beat them 3-0. Did you know that's United's worst start to a Premier League season since the first Premier League uh, when an uh, an Andy Hinchcliffe-inspired Everton won 3-0 at Old Trafford. Yes, that was when the stand behind, opposite the Stretford End was still in construction. It was that long ago. But we gave them, in football terms, a right royal spanking. <laughs> they did recover to go on to, to, to glories. I do understand that we actually probably poked the tiger. But what a day. I think Robert Vajica, I'm sure he scored. He did. What a player, Robert Vajica. Yes, we used to call him Bobby Vodka, which was hilarious, <laughs> To this day, it is hilarious. How many of those three goals were you responsible for, Chinch? At least 66%, I'd say. The Robert Varchika goal was as a result of your you, you marauding down the left-hand side? Either that or a penetrating forward pass with pinpoint accuracy, one of the two. Do you think Chinch was a marauder? I don't think he was. I think he trundled. <laughs> Hang on a minute. No, I never trundled. No, not having that. You can you can you can maraud with those hips, I think. Or flapped. You might have flapped <laughs> forward. <laughs> Fla- what was it? Was, I can't remember his running style. Was Tinch was your running style particularly? Uh, you know, did you have a lot of arm movement in your running style? Why are you Why are you sniggering as if you're some kind of Olympic athlete, clown? <laughs> you can't. You've never been able to run. I had a fairly upright running style, but it certainly suited me with all my international caps. Clearly. My athleticism and my football ability went hand in hand. I remember Chinch running a little bit like Barney Rubble. What, with a car underneath? <laughs> with a car underneath. <laughs> yeah. did, did, were your hips the size of a car from Neolithic times? Why do you keep going back to the size of my hips? You're no, you know they're childbearing. <laughs> it's something I've tried to work... I can't change the size of my hips. I can change everything else, but it's very upsetting when you keep going on about them. All right then, Chinch. We're a little bit late calling you, so what, what should you be doing right now? Well, actually, I will be in the gymnasium with João. He really does put me wow. In Joao. He's my Portuguese personal trainer, my PPT. And we are going to be doing what are we doing today? I think we're doing back and biceps today, supersets. <laughs> oh my God. That was like a terrible advert for retirement homes on the Algarve. Um, I'm, go- I'm glad that Wow with Joao is, is going to take place very soon. Uh, but before you go, Chinch, um, and enjoy your idyllic life um, of slightly early retirement, perhaps uh, you could do your weekly uh, honourable thing and give us a Nevermind Jack and Ori, what a soccer story. This is when Andy tells a tale from his playing days with all adult behaviour and libel-worthy details removed. Well, considering I'm in Portugal, I, I feel we should play a little game here. Because I, I don't know whether I've told you, I do come to Portugal quite a lot. This is not a one-off me being here. I do travel here quite a lot. Yes, you know that, don't you? Yes, it, it comes yeah, up. It's trouble. Yeah. Yes, you don't, you don't yeah, really have yeah. to tell so us. I spend a lot of time on the transit bus from the aeroplane to the terminal. That's the that's that's uh, airport terminology, unless you unless you don't travel an awful lot. And I do meet 
people clearly who want to speak to me, they know who I am. I'm on TV. It's pretty understandable they want a word here or there. It's occasionally I meet someone who is possibly more famous than I am. And this was an occasion on the transit bus. I climbed aboard and then another former England international climbed alongside me on the transit bus. Now, he was clearly very impressed with me. It was as if the 46 caps difference between us was not even there. I have seven. He has 53 caps. He's still playing. He's in the championship. And he was clearly very impressed. We had a good chat about the media, about football and everything else. And he's getting on in years a little bit. Can you guess who Chinch met on the transport bus at Faro Airport? I have a follow-up question. It's during the season. Why are they going to Faro Airport? This was in this was in the summer, obviously. Oh, right. It's not this week on this trip to Portugal. There's so many trips to Portugal. Did I say it was this week on this trip to Portugal? You did not, Chinch. You did not specify that. That's a good point. You make a very good point, Chinch. So this is how many caps? Uh, he had 53, so 46 more than me. So he was basically... It's nearly over seven times the international that I was. Okay, and... I mean, that doesn't narrow it down. <laughs> that's, it. that's so an adequate well, player well, and that, nothing more. So, people who had 53 England caps, yeah. Glenn Hoddle. Uh, did he? No, it wasn't Glenn. No. Uh, Paul Ince won 53 England cla- caps. Not, not currently playing, though, is he? But he, he might consider himself still to be playing. That's true, yeah. He's the governor. Uh, you know, it wasn't Paul Ince because... Uh, no, it wasn't Paul Ince. No, no. no. Just, Anybody just, else you can just think be- of? Just before we finish this list, can you narrow it down to people of either childbearing hips or normal hips? Uh, that's what I was just about to say. He was similar. He had similar hippage oh, right, to okay. me. Quite a, quite a, he was quite low. He had quite a low centre of gravity oh. in terms of the hips. Gareth Barry. G-Baz! G-Baz! <laughs> you got there in the end. Well done, Rory. I think you find it's Gaz-Baz, actually. Gaz-Baz. I, I felt he was somewhat starstruck. It might have been the fact he might or might not have been drinking on the aeroplane, but he did look a little <laughs> bit befuddled and in shock at meeting someone as famous as I was on a transit bus. Chinch. He probably thought I should have separate transport being so famous. Chinch, who introduced themselves to whom? You know what footballers do? It's an odd thing, Rory. They kind of... Like cats do, you know, when they look at each other and then they look a bit more and then they either start fighting or they get on really well. That was what it was like. Two tigers prowling around a cage. Eventually, we found common ground, which was in the middle of the transit bus. And the conversation just, it was blossomed. And it was it was wonderful. And I was telling him how great he was. Probably don't really agree with that. But I have to say it because I was in a confined space. Did you at any point lick each other's backsides? Um, I don't want to go into details, but um, there was a friendship that was clearly ready to build, but we didn't go that far, no. Has anybody ever described Gareth Barry as being able to open a can of beans with his left foot? No, no, because that's, that's what I can do. He'd have to get a tin opener. <laughs> Uh, Chinch, I'm very glad that you're able to mix with the hoi polloi of uh, either retired or semi-retired footballers with char-bearing hips and a good left foot. Well, what I'm going to do, I'm going to start a chart now because th- I'm trying to improve on Gareth Barry. I know it's pretty hard to do that, but I'm, I'm going to hopefully, the amount of time that I come out here, there will be an increase in the level of celebrity person or footballer that I get to come across in the transit. So I'm going to try and keep on top of this, keep my eyes open and see whether 
I can kind of what's what's an improvement on Gareth Barry? What would be ten percent bigger than Gareth Barry in terms of England players? What Phil ten, Yeah, that would take you to about sixty. Um, so we'll 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 look at a bracket of sixty uh, cap internationals who have childbearing hips and a good left foot. Yeah. So anyway, it's, it's not it's not really a story. Well, it is a story. It's not a story. It's, it's, not a story. it's just something it's that happened. It's not really a story, but I just think it's a nice little aside. Well, I tell you what. Last time that I went to Faro, which was also the same time that Steve went to Faro. Um, Leighton Baines was on the transit bus. So um, you've got a good chance of meeting him next time. Oh, my God. Did, that... you, did you speak to him and prowl around like tigers in a confined space? No, because we didn't have that connection, Chinch, in the same way that you and Gareth Barry have that connection, where you just look at each other, prowl around a bit, pretend you're tigers, and then lick each other's backsides. But you are, you and Leighton Baines, both They're musicians. licking each other's backsides. That didn't happen. <laughs> well, you, you've, got to, you've got to extend the, the cat metaphor to its logical conclusion. They don't. They're a majestic creature. <laughs> Don't lick each other's bottoms. That. Domestic cats are filthy. Yes, they would do it, but we were tigers, not tabbies. Basic, basically, <laughs> the jet, the jet two flight to Faro is the natural habitat of the left footer who was played for Everton. Yeah. Uh, so yes, Kevin, Baines, Kevin, yes, Kevin yes, Sheedy Barry and Hinchcliffe, of course. Yeah, Sheedy. I don't think Kevin Sheedy come out here. He's got too much money. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, I'll change. Um, first of all, have a wonderful uh, back and biceps uh, session with Wow Zhao. Yes, I'm going to really. I'll probably shred my nards and beef my noids. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Secondly, that sounds worse than licking each other's backsides. Um, and thirdly, we will see you next week. Are we all back together again? Finally, the, the quartet is back together. Yes, we would have been back earlier if it wasn't for the fact that you had a back and bicep session that you had to go all the way to Portugal to do. Yeah, but sometimes I work so hard in this business that I need some downtime and I just need to get away from all you. And that's why I'm here. I love being with you three. I really do. But being with my wife in Portugal trumps you three nuggets okay okay just make sure you don't do any trumping whilst Gareth Barry is licking your backside but thanks very much Andy Hinchcliffe lick my backside <laughs> that is um, Andy Hinchcliffe and uh, we are delighted to be able to include him uh, on the podcast and really have a, a, a sensible intelligent uh, conclusion to this debate you do quite often oddly see footballers on budget airlines because they they go to budget holiday destinations yes. uh, this type of destinations they're like I want saw Darren Gibson on an EasyJet flight, for example. Darren Dibson, once of Manchester United and yes, Sunderland, yes. now don't know. <laughs> well, uh, well, Raheem Sterling famously goes got, and yes. buys an incredibly expensive sink and then gets on a budget airline to go yeah, on holiday. Both of which are for reasons that remain entirely unclear to me. Judgments on his character. Yes, and worthy of at least a two-page splash. Um, so that's Andrew. It's very nice to catch up with Andrew. He will be back on our next uh, episode of Seppi's Menu, by which time the SPM PLPL deadline will have passed. So here's one more reminder. tinyurl.com forward slash setpiece menu have until 31st of August um, at 6pm. Uh, in the meantime, do please get in touch with the pod. It's always lovely to hear from you. As Mark did, uh, he got his subject this if you have one, let us know at setpiecemenu or setpiecemenu at gmail.com. Please subscribe, share, rate and review as we humbly ask you to continue to find room for us in your podcast schedule. Uh, thank you to Steve, to Rory, kind of Andy. And thank you to you all for listening. We'll all be back. We'll all be back with another set piece menu for you to enjoy very soon indeed. How many, um, how many times do you get your hair cut a year? Um, Twelve. Every month? Yes, that's, that's excellent. That's well, well done that's there, Rory. <laughs> That's a lot of haircuts. But, but why have you got it cut particularly short this time, Hugh? You know, you're normally fairly consistent. It's a, it's a holiday of, haircut. It's a holiday haircut. So does that mean you're going to go for longer between haircuts this time? Or, or were you looking for an extra no, no, bit no, of breathing space to, around your ears? No, it's very important because I, I have to have four, four weeks, generally speaking, between haircuts. Ridiculous. The first two weeks are short hair wax. 
and the second two weeks are longer hair wax because the consistency and the hair length are very important because you don't put the short hair wax on the long hair because it just gets stuck and matted you can't run it through and the longer hair wax is slightly uh, less of a you know hard consistency because it's easier to apply to long hair so I want to go away only taking one hair wax and in order to do that I need to get my hair cut just before going away so that by the time I come back it's roughly two and two two and a week uh, two weeks two and a half weeks after the haircut at set piece menu on Twitter if anybody has a single clue of what the hell he is talking about. I think about. anybody who has short hair will appreciate that it's very difficult to uh, have the same hair wax for the full uh, for the full range of your hair length. I think if, if that, that approach, if you're mirroring that approach in your life, maybe, I mean, obviously, A, tell us, and B, maybe contact professionals. <laughs> <laughs> that, is, that is excessive. Well, for some feedback. That is... That some, is some, some hair professionals, some hair design professionals. That is deeply, deeply troubling. Well, how often do you get your hair cut? About once every three months. Steve? Uh, once every six to eight weeks, probably. I'm, I'm Steve's isn't growing as prolifically as yours in the month. I'm meant to get my hair cut every <laughs> six to eight weeks, uh, but always forget. Well, that's fine. I'm on television regularly, so that screw the that, lot to, of yeah, you. To be fair, yeah, to be fair, you are. Uh, we've got, to the, we've yeah. got to the pompous nub yeah, of it now, yeah. haven't we? But you're on TV. Not as not as prolifically as you. Yeah, no, yeah. yeah. I'm the prolific. His, his hair growth and televisual appearances are more prolific than mine. When you're prolifically on television, that allows you to be massively vain. Allows is an interesting choice. Of well, within your own sense of self-awareness. I say encourages. <laughs> of the outros we've done on this podcast, this is the one in which we're probably all going to take the least amount of credit for. Yeah, but the thing is that it's mainly about amongst others. So no, not that. <laughs>